The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Hey Shades, um, our reading for the scripture this morning is Matthew 5, 33-37, and I'll give you a minute to turn to that. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so this morning we are continuing our sermon series, excuse me, through the Sermon on the Mount. And as we do, we come to Jesus' puzzling words about oaths or, or vows. And we hear Jesus tell his audience that they should not take an oath at all, uh, that they should not make a vow at all, that rather... What they say should simply be yes or no. Their yes should be yes, and their their no should be no. Um, and the word that's translated oath or vow here uh, simply means a promise to fulfill a pledge. A promise to fulfill a pledge or a, a verbal commitment to do something. Um, a verbal commitment to do something that an individual makes to either God, a vow to him, or to somebody else. So, Jesus' words are puzzling. They're confusing when he says, don't take an oath at all, because, well, why? Well, we make vows or oaths in society and in the context of the church all the time. Right? So, Think about uh, marriage vows. Uh, in front of many of you, I placed a ring on my wife's finger, and I said, I honor you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I called on God to be a witness to my word. You all were witnesses to my word. I called on God to empower me to fulfill the vow that I made, right? Uh, Pastors make vows at their ordination. Uh, Oaths are made in courtrooms all the time, right? So we live in a society where promise-making or oath-making, vow-making are are pretty common, right? We live in a church in in which it's common. So I think the question that I have when I come to this text is what is going on here? What is Jesus getting at? Um, Is he saying that we should never say something like, I swear I will get it to you? Or I promise? No, don't don't say that. Just say, I'll get it to you. Is is that what he's getting at? Uh, Is he saying that we shouldn't make a promise in God's name? So don't say, I swear to that I will do it. Is that what Jesus is getting at here? Um, Is he 
saying that followers of Jesus shouldn't make any commitments at all that would bind them to something in this world. So some Christians have taken it this way. So that means uh, no mortgages. Uh, I know we can all afford to buy a house in cash in here, but no mortgages. For those of us that have them, right? Or um, no serving in public office. Right? You have to take an oath to serve. I right? can't do that. Some of it interpreted his words to mean this. Is this what Jesus is getting at? So imagine if you're like me, when you read this passage initially, you're like, okay, I feel like I can uh, say what Jesus isn't getting at, right? What this doesn't mean, but I think the question remains. What is Jesus saying? What is he getting at? Uh, what's, what's going on here? And why is this a good word? Okay, so I want to think through this passage together uh, by looking closely at the text. And last week, Jonathan walked us through the text by looking at different contexts, right? So I want to steal that and do that again this week and not give him any credit. So first, let's look at the first verse together by looking at the Old Testament context to see what Jesus is getting at. Look at the Old Testament context. Look at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Okay, so what is Jesus referencing here? Where is he quoting from? Well, he's not referencing a quote, but rather he's summarizing from several places in the Old Testament. Uh, especially from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So Leviticus 19.12, listen to this. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. You see? Uh, Deuteronomy 23. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So Grant Osborne in his commentary was really helpful for me. So he points out that in the ancient world, it was common to evoke the gods to add substance to a commitment. It was common to evoke the gods to add substance to a commitment, right? This is a, a verbal culture. So after a commitment, someone might say something like, uh, may whatever God strike me ill or dead if this is not true. And then whoever was listening to the person say that would be like, oh snap, if Jerry doesn't return my lawnmower, then God's going to strike him dead. Right? It was a way of adding like substance, right, to your word. So how do we do that today? We put it in writing, right? Or uh, if you're talking to someone, they say, so-and-so has made a commitment to me. Sometimes we'll respond and say, well, did you, did you what? Did you get it in writing, right? It adds this substance, this veracity to the word. Get it in writing. Where are my lawyers at? Matt Theus, get it in writing, right? Look at Matt. He's got a twinkle in his eye just hearing me say it. 
Grant the same. Yeah, I can see. Yeah. So for the Jews at this time, in this spoken culture, right, um, Yahweh would become a witness to the seriousness of their word, uh, to the seriousness of the claim that they were making. So then what do these Old Testament verses condemn? Well, these Old Testament verses condemn using God's name lightly in a promise. Using God's name lightly in a promise when you have no intention to carry it out. When you have no intention to do what you say you're going to do. When you do that, when you make an oath in God's name, you don't carry it out, you make his name seem common. I think this is partially what's going on in the Ten Commandments. We all know the command, do not take the Lord's name in vain, right? Well, this, this ain't just about cussing on the golf course. Um, I don't know why I did that. Uh, <laughs> it's not just about that, right? It, it, as the people of God, uh, they bear the name of God with their life. And so when they live in a way that dishonors God, that's disobedient, what? They make his name little. And so in their lips, when they make a promise and they use his name and they don't follow through with it or they lie, what do they do? They make his name little. This is the Old Testament context. So what's going on in Jesus' day is the Pharisees knew these verses, right? Um, The Pharisees knew these verses, but they were missing the heart of them. And they were actually using these verses to give license to other people. What do I mean by that? Well, that takes us to the second context, the Old Testament context, and then the cultural context of Jesus' day. Look at verses 34 to 37 with me. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Okay. Now, I don't know what you see when you read this, but at first, it it sounds confusing. Because it sounds like Jesus is saying that now, to make any vow by anything, or to make an oath by anything, is wrong. No, no matter what. Uh, so, so don't do it. So that feels a little confusing. What's going on? Well, I think this is where a little background can help us out. So it seems that at this time, uh, the Pharisees had developed this elaborate oath-making system. This elaborate system of valid oaths and invalid oaths. So you have some oaths that were made that were binding. And then you have other oaths that were made, other promises that were made that weren't binding. And there was this huge, complicated system. You you can imagine someone at the time saying, oh, have you read uh, so-and-so's commentary on valid and invalid oaths? Oh, yes, it's it's 5,000 pages. 
And it's, it's very dense, it's too complicated for me to tell you, but it's fascinating the way they distinguish between making an oath like this and making an oath like this and this being righteous and, and this being unrighteous. It's all very complicated, right? Um, I think this is exactly what's going on in Matthew 23 uh, when Jesus pronounces these woes to the Pharisees, right? I think there's a connection here. This is like fun Bible stuff. Look at this. Um, Matthew 23. Jesus says, Woe to you blind guides, because you say, listen to this. It's confusing when you first read it. Woe to you Pharisees, woe to you blind guides, because you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. What? If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. That's what the Pharisees are teaching. But if they swear by the gold of the temple, then he's bound by his oath. What, what the heck is going on here? Well, think about the Old Testament context. If someone made a vow by the name of God, by invoking the name of Yahweh, then they were binding and valid. It's clear in Torah. But, if someone made a vow by something else, like the temple, then they weren't bound to their word. And they could get out of it. And these people were righteous and following the law. So, so listen to this. It sounds crazy. But to make an oath by objects dedicated to the temple, like gold, uh, that's binding. But then in this oath system, to make an oath by the temple, it's not bounding. And they could get out and be righteous. Now, you might be totally checked out at this point. Exactly. <laughs> right? It, it, it sounds crazy. You, you might be sitting here thinking, this just sounds like semantics. This just sounds like people with this complicated system of oaths trying to get out of their word. Exactly. And I love what Jesus does here because he steps into the complexity and he says, with hyperbolic language, I got an idea. What if you don't make oaths at all? Right? Do you see how he just totally cuts through it all? Oh, valid oaths, invalid oaths, blah, 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 right? I got an idea. What if you just don't make oaths at all? And by the way, uh, you know that no matter what you promise by, whether that's heaven, whether that's earth, whether that's Jerusalem, whether that's your own head, whether that's the temple treasure, it doesn't matter because guess what? It all belongs to God. He rules over it all. And so to back out of your word is to dishonor him. Right? So what's going on here? Jesus is calling out the Pharisees. He is calling out this practice of elaborate oath-making that has this religious, spiritual, 4,000-page commentary kind of vibe to it, right? But what is it? It's just people looking for a loophole. It's just a way for people to justify what? Dishonesty. It's just a way for people to back out of their commitments. So, like Jesus has done before, he's not abolishing the Old Testament. He's not abolishing the original command. He, and Jesus is not opposed to vow-making. No, rather he gets at the heart of what's going on. You see that? He cuts through it all 
and he gets right to the heart. And he shows how the Pharisees were using the original commandment to give people license for dishonesty. And Jesus says, you've missed it all. (laughs) You've missed it all, and you've missed what the law was trying to accomplish. And then what does Jesus say in light of all of this? What does he call us to? This brings us to the last context, the kingdom context. Look at verse 37. The kingdom context. Jesus says, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So, it's pretty clear, right? Uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Jesus calls for what? He, he calls for total honesty in our speech. Jesus says, be an honest person. Be a person of integrity. Be a person of your word. Uh, be someone who says something, and then they do it. Uh, be a person that, that means what you say. Don't focus on these complicated oaths. Don't scale your honesty with this complex system. No. Don't look around for loopholes to get out of it and appear spiritual and justified. Just a simple yes or a simple no and then live it out. Right? And then he says, this, uh, anything more than this, anything other than this, comes from the evil one, right? Comes from Satan. This is shocking language for us, right? What's, what's he saying? Well, he's saying that a person who in their day in and day out life, a person whose life is characterized by looking for loopholes, justifying dishonesty, and constantly looking for ways to appear outwardly spiritual while lying right, is, is what? Is not following Yahweh, but is, is following the evil one. His words are clear, right? So as I was writing this sermon, I, and I was sitting at my desk, there can be this mentality that I get that's like, yeah, Jesus, get the Pharisees! Woo! Right? And I kind of sit back and mock the Pharisees and think about how ridiculous it is and how amazing I am and, you know, that sort of thing. It's much easier for me to do that than to look at my own heart. But like I said, Jesus' words here cut right to the heart. They cut, they cut right to the heart. Um, so often... Uh, and when people write on this passage, uh, they'll bring up things about telling the truth. They'll bring up situations. And it'll be something like, you know, say that someone breaks into your house and you hide your daughter in the closet and then they approach you and they put a gun to your face and they say, is your daughter here? Do you tell the truth then? Uh Uh-huh. What do you do then? What would I do? I would lie and say, my daughter's not in the closet. I'm here alone. 
right? Pretty straightforward. Well, Brad, are you arguing for a type of situational ethics that blah, blah, relativistic, blah, blah, blah? No, right? Now, why do I kind of mock that in a kind of a sassy way, all right? It's not because I don't think it's important to ask those kinds of questions or think through that. I, I think that's helpful. But I, I, I am kind of acting like that because I think those types of things, while good to ponder, can remove us from the kind of day-in and day-out honesty that God calls us to, right? And to kind of face the way that we lie, whether that's subtly or not subtly, in our day-to-day lives. That's hard to face. It, it gets complicated, right? It's difficult to look at. And so as I was writing this sermon, I just began to think, why do we lie? Why do we make commitments and then back out of it and then try to justify it, right? Well, I think there are tons of reasons, but let me just list a few. One, I think there are cultural reasons. So often, and I'm guilty of this, we talk about the culture like it's something out there right? Oh, well, we just live in a culture that blah, 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 or the culture, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, but we're also a part of that culture, right? And, and it has so shaped us that we can't even think otherwise, right? Um, I think there are cultural reasons. So we just get caught up in the way that our, our culture is dishonest. And, and we all know that there's a type of dishonesty that is accepted in our society. Where are my business people at? right? Uh, you see this all the time, don't you? And it's easy to get to the place where you're like, this is just the way that business is done. <laughs> this is just common. Don't be naive. This is how everyone acts. And we get caught up in that cultural current, right? And it becomes easy to do what? To justify dishonesty. Because it's hard to imagine doing business another way. What do they even look like? I think there are reasons of security. What would it mean financially for us to be honest? What would the consequences of that be? What would it mean in regards to my success? What would I have to face? These are hard questions. And so we lie because lying gives us what? This false sense of security. It tells us that we'll be okay. It tells us that we'll be secure. I think there are interpersonal reasons. Um, this is a tough one. What would it mean for us to be honest in our relationships? That's one to ponder for the rest of the week. What does it mean for us to be honest in our relationships? Um, now, I'm not talking about being a jerk in our relationships. Uh, the person that's like, and we all know the type, uh, hey, I'm just telling it how it is. I'm not going to step around it. I'm just being honest. I'm just going to tell them. Right? That's not speaking the truth in love. That's speaking the truth in what? Anger. Right? That's not honoring to God. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being the jerk. Right? But if you're anything like me, and I don't know if you are, but if you're anything like me, you will lie to others because you're worried about how the honesty will make them feel. 
And maybe if you're like me, you put a lot of your identity in making sure that everyone else around you feels okay. And so we lie because we think it's for their good. And we feel justified because we think we are loving them. What would it mean to be honest in our relationships? Or maybe we don't follow through with commitments because we are what? Over-committed. Why? Because we can't say no. Because to say no would mean to let somebody down. And so we say yes to everything. Even though there's a part of us that knows we might not be able to follow through with it. And it works until what? Until we are completely and totally overwhelmed. And then we do what? We have a breakdown. Right? And this leads to identity. Um, an individual came up to me last Wednesday who I'm not going to name, but Jeff Stalkup came up to me and <laughs> he said, hey, why aren't you at small group this week? He wasn't mean. He was kind of joking. He's like, why aren't you at small group? And I had the immediate impulse of, oh, um, I was sick. I wasn't sick. <laughs> right? But that just came to me. Oh, I, I was sick. Uh, well, the reality was I was exhausted. And I didn't want to go. But I can't say that. I'm the pastor. What would he think? What would you all think? Right? Oh my gosh, does he think that maybe I don't want to go to the community group because I don't like the people there? Oh no. Does he think I don't want to go because I'm not committed to this church? Oh no. Is he going to think that I'm lazy? Is he going to think that I back out of everything? I can't be honest. What am I going to do? Lie. I was so sick. And I was kind of exhausted. So that's kind of a form of sickness. Right? So, I'm good. Right? Identity. Identity. Last, shame. Shame. I think this is a big one. We can't bear for others to know the truth. Right? We can't bear to admit that we've failed. We can't bear to admit that we've wronged somebody or been foolish or been lazy. Right? It feels like in our, our culture, it, it's okay to say that you've worked too much. We kind of feel okay about that. Like, yeah, I've just been working too much, but I feel okay about myself because I've accomplished a lot, right? But laziness, right, feels like the kiss of death, right, to our identity. But what does it mean to, to acknowledge our finitude, to acknowledge our fealty, to be honest about it, Right? Maybe we can't. Maybe we've never had to face that. And so what? We're just dishonest. Because it's the only way we've learned to be okay. Now, um, I am preaching to myself this morning. Let me be clear. But if you identify with anything that I've said, I have two words for us. Two words. First, I have a word that I pray by the Holy Spirit leaves us in awe. And I very intentionally use that word, awe. Jesus in this passage reveals something absolutely breathtaking. And that is this. Every word that you and I speak is a public word. What do I mean by that? I mean that every word that you and I speak is a word that is public in the sense that it is witnessed by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Every word that we say is witnessed by God. It's a public word. And he sees right through the heart, right? And so this makes us a people of integrity. Why? Well, because it doesn't matter if there was a camera. It doesn't matter if someone was recording. It doesn't matter if it was written down. It doesn't matter if we didn't get caught. We are a people who are honest because the triune God is witness to it all, right? He sees it all, and we come before him and nobody else, right? Everything that we say is before him. Leaves us in awe of his sovereignty. Leaves us in awe of his, his greatness, right? And it gets us out of this mentality that I slip into, which is what? If I don't get caught, it's okay. (laughs) Right? As long as nobody finds out, as long as nobody sees, as long as I'm not exposed, as long as I can justify myself before God and other people, then I'm okay. God sees it all. A word that brings awe. But then, secondly, I have a word that brings hope right? Um, As Jonathan has talked about in these examples that we've been going through in the Sermon on the Mount, here Jesus is showing us um, what the righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees looks like, right? And you totally see it in this passage because it doesn't look like this external kind of religious um, deeds. It looks like what? It looks like an internal heart that has been transformed. It looks like an internal heart that has been changed to reflect who? The God who is faithful and is true. We worship a God who is true. We worship a God who is faithful to his word. He does not lie. He does not deceive. And he is never unfaithful. And in our union with Christ, we have been brought into relationship with him and we have been given new hearts, transformed hearts that can live honest lives before the world, that can bear witness to a new way to be human, a way that the world doesn't understand. We can be a people of integrity. And so there may be cultural reasons to lie. There may be cultural advantage to find out, we, to, to gain by lying. We may seem odd or different because we don't um, live in this way, but we are strangers. We are aliens. We are exiles, and we are foreigners. We are the people of God who in him have a new way, who shine light in the darkness Um, And yeah, we can maintain our security, a type of worldly security, by continuing to lie, but that is the security of a three-foot wooden fence. We don't need that security because we are found in the mighty fortress of Jesus Christ. And he will provide everything that we need. So we do not need to lie to accomplish the purposes that he has for us. We do not need to lie to provide for ourselves. We do not need to lie to maintain security because we are in him. And in his earthly ministry, he shows us um, that we don't need to lie to people to love them. 
We don't need to lie to people to love them. That's not what it looks like. We're called to speak the truth in love. And because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are found in him. We've been given a new identity. And so we can stop looking to find ourselves in everybody else's opinions of us. What will they think? What will they feel? Guess what the good news is this morning? Your identity is not found in what people think of you. Your identity is not found in other people's feelings and your ability to make sure that they're okay. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. So you can be honest. You are capable of that. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. You can be honest about your failures. You can look at someone and tell them that you have wronged them and your identity will not be crushed. You can be honest about your human frailty, your ability to not do it all, right? Because that doesn't define you. Jesus does. Let me close with this. A wise friend told me this. We were not created to carry lies. We were not created to carry lies. I've been thinking about that a lot. We're not created to carry lies. Um, But I also want to acknowledge this that to be honest will cost you something. To be honest will cost you something. It will cost you something in your day-to-day life. Right? To be honest will take courage. It will take courage. But I know this community I have seen the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you all. I know that by the grace of God, we are capable of this. And my prayer for myself and my prayer for all of us this week is that when people think about Shades Valley, they would say, here is a people of their word. Listen, I don't always agree with them, but I know that what they say is true. And I know that they live by what they say. And when they do speak the truth, it it is in kindness. It is in humility. Right? Um, But nonetheless, I know where they're at. They are single-hearted in their word. That's been my prayer for us. Would God empower us to do it? How? Is he this week in your relationships, in your family, at your job, calling you to live this out? I don't know how he is, but I know this. By the Holy Spirit, he will enable you to do so.